1: this podcast is presented by the oklahoma hall of fame telling oklahoma story through its people since 1927 for more information on the hall of fame go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on instagram for daily updates at oklahoma HOF. what's up guys welcome back to another episode of this is oklahoma michael here host back with another episode down in Oklahoma City today. I've been in this building so many times, but I've probably been on this floor so many times, but it looked a lot different than it does now. Uh, We're down at the branch, which is above Yote Coffee. Everyone knows what that is. Um, But my guest today is Kelly Masters, return guest. We were just talking about this. It's been, I mean, June of 18 was the last time you were on the podcast and it was episode 31. And today, this is probably going to be close to episode 400. We're in that range. Uh,
0: Look at you. I mean, look at you. A lot has (laughs) happened
1: since we, you know, you had a full-time job since we last (laughs) met, which I mean, you you know, you don't do that anymore, but obviously, you know, you've done so much and for people listening, um, they can go back to that episode and I'll link it in the description to hear about, you know, your origin story and everything that kind of gets you to being a sports agent and and growing up in Midwest city and and all of that backstory, because the context from that, it's awesome to get you to where (laughs) you are now. We're not going to go through that story again. We're going to talk about, obviously, the last three years um, and... I assume this building has just been a dream of yours from day one, having your own space. I mean, walking, yes. just seeing the logo on the door, the I was logo. like, this is legit now, right? <laughs> when you have a logo, when you're walking on the door, Didn't you know legit? You've,
2: you've at least arrived at some level exactly. when, you, when your name is in lights. Uh, yeah, this, you know, back when we last spoke, mm-hmm. I was still uh, of counsel with Feller-Snyder Law Firm. I practiced law there for 20 years, which... Yeah. It's that's that makes me feel so old to say that I did anything for 20 years. But I towards the end, my sports agency had absolutely exploded, growing like crazy. But Mm. we never had our own office space. I always just ran KMM. KMM was just something that was I ran out of my law firm Mm. and then on the road because I was traveling so much. And It was actually during 2020 when I think a lot of people were looking at their situations and their offices yeah. and going, what do I want to do? How do I want this to look going forward? And I just had a sense that that chapter of my life was closing mm-hmm. and that I was supposed to find a new a home for yeah. KMM sports, but it's funny how, you, this is a theme in my life, when I start pursuing something that's in my heart, it always grows and becomes something so much bigger than I originally planned. Yeah. <laughs> and so... I was actually at EOT having a meeting with a friend, having coffee, and happened to mention that I was looking for a new space uh-huh. for KMM, and I looked at possibly a, a co-working situation, didn't hadn't seen anything so far that was exactly what I pictured.
0: Right.
2: And so my friend said, Why why not here? Why not this building? And I looked around, I was like, well what else is here? You know, do they have <laughs> no. office space? Do they have a co working space? And at the time it literally was EOT and a couple of businesses on the second floor. Uh-huh. Everything else was completely raw and undeveloped yeah. and beautiful. It's a beautiful building. And it happens to be now basically my favorite part of downtown Oklahoma City, mm-hmm. with City and State, with Parlor, yeah. with Skydance Brewing, just everything in this area close to Automobile Alley is just such a fun, yeah. um, great, doesn't it have a great vibe?
1: It does, yeah. No, you're it's right. And very I'm, alive. I'm, I mean, I, I, to just the area, like mm-hmm. a friend of mine is actually looking at going in the apartment next door yeah. and the apartment buildings, uh, yeah. the Metropolitan, I think it is. and. Yes. He's like, what do you think about this? Or, or I think it was like the Lincoln apartments by the Capitol, And it's like, you should definitely go to the Metropolitan. Metropolitan. <laughs> like, you can walk to coffee yeah. every morning. There's breweries around. Oh, you can it's walk fantastic. them down. You walk to Midtown, isn't it? It's a yeah. perfect location.
2: It's fantastic. And so I, as I do, I stepped out in faith and leased the mm-hmm. entire first floor of the building Yeah, and started the process of, I'd never done anything like this, right. but I decided it was obviously way too much space for just the sports agency. Yeah. And so I thought, well, what can I do with, almost 8,000 square feet. And so it was just expand and and literally create space for other Mm -hmm. people with big dreams and entrepreneurs and professionals and people that just wanted a different work environment Mm -hmm. where they could really be creative and inspired. And so the branch was born and now it's, now it's here.
1: And it makes sense. I mean, as a business move as well, you're like, look, I can have people in here that Love being around this, you know, co-working space and and co-working spaces are more common now. And I mean, that helps pay the bills as well. If you have other people in the community that, you know, it's just a smart business decision, right? True. Um, You know, then coming in and saying, this place is all going to be for KMM. It's (laughs) like so much bigger. I
2: couldn't really justify the rent payment (laughs) (laughs) just for KMM, but it's now we've created something that's so beautiful and we're hosting... You know, events, mm-hmm. we'll do everything from, from retirement parties to mediations. We have a wedding here um, next yeah. month. And so uh, it's, I'm really excited about what we've created and the, yeah. the really unique community that we've created here. So yeah. I'm excited to see how it grows.
1: Well, I mean, tra- perfect transition. Thank you for bringing up events because now we can talk about the book launch that Sally. I couldn't make yeah. it to, but you had your book launch here.
2: Yes. Tell
1: me about this new book.
2: Oh my goodness. Talk about another thing that I never thought I would do mm-hmm. um, that took year, years yeah. to develop. I remember several years ago, just hearing out of the blue from a, a publicist with Tyndale House mm-hmm. Publishing Company that said, hey, I've followed your story. Yeah. If you're ever interested in writing a book, here are the authors that I've worked with. And it was people that I really loved from a sports standpoint, mm-hmm. a leadership standpoint, a faith standpoint, like Tony Dungy was one. and. Yeah. I said, I'm sold, you know, I'd I'd love to work with you. And so, uh, went through that whole process of writing the book proposal, um, and it's funny because the, the book was originally titled by me, Dream Job, mm-hmm. but it was sort of tongue-in-cheek because everyone always says that yeah. when I say I'm a sports agent. Oh, you have a dream job. You get yeah. to go watch football for a living. Like, yeah, there's <laughs> a little more to it. And it was such a, we talked about it in the last podcast, it's, yeah. it's been a challenge. It has been a brutal, brutal journey right. in so many ways. So beautiful and amazing and fulfilling. right. But tough, I mean, how, not, ma- how many dreamy. flights <laughs>
1: are you on average, you take out COVID year, but how many oh flights average or have you been on? I mean, every, um, it seems like I mean, weekly you on yeah, tour, at least uh, two. Over 100, yeah, over um, hundred
2: easily. I go to... 30, 35 football games a year, yeah, which sounds like a lot of fun. And it, it is, I'll be in Green Bay. I don't know when this is going to air, but I'm going to Green Bay for the, the yeah. game this this weekend. It's supposed to be like minus 10. Oh, it's like
1: it is here right now. So right, exactly. Matter. I'm just getting
2: used to it. <laughs> Oklahoma is preparing right. me for it. Yeah. So yeah, so it was going to be called Dream Job. And I turned in the manuscript and the publisher said, okay, Kelly, this is like, can you share more good stories? Like, all of this is really hard, like painful. <laughs> like, we don't want to like, we don't want like, right. to make everyone depressed when they yeah, read about yeah. what you've been through. And I'm like, well, that's reality. It's truth. Yeah. And it puts in perspective the victories mm-hmm. and the successes yeah. that didn't just come without a lot of pain and a lot of growth and a lot of failure.
0: Yeah.
2: So we, we re, you know, reworked the book, edited the book. I actually wrote it in 2019. We edited it all through 2020 and then released it in August of this last year. And uh, it's been an amazing, uh, really amazing thing. Uh I recorded the audio book, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. And it's great to hear. I've heard from people all over the world now that have either bought the book or listened to it Uh and have talked about how it impacted their life. And so it's accomplishing exactly what I had hoped it accomplished. It, It takes My, you know, my prayer and my desire to make an impact on lives and reaches many, many thousands more people Mm -hmm. than I ever could just sitting here in Oklahoma City, much like a podcast.
1: Definitely. How do you find like reading it? For me, that's like my one of my worst nightmares. Like oh, I, reading out like loud? I can have a conversation and I can probably talk to a crowd. Sure. But like reading out loud? Oh my gosh, it I was mean, way oh,
2: harder than I thought it was yeah. going to be. I thought, oh, this is easy. I'm just going to knock it out. And like the third day of sitting in the the room, the right. booth, and reading my own words and hearing my own voice and having to, like stumbling over a word and having to start back at the beginning of the page, right. not just that word. And I thought, I am never going to finish this. And then something else that I thought was funny was I love to write. I've always loved writing. Mm -hmm. Um, And an amazing English teacher that inspired me to write. I've just never published. But I didn't realize that I use words sometimes when I write that I don't necessarily use in just normal conversations Mm -hmm. with people and so saying them out loud they didn't sound right (laughs) so i was seriously sitting there looking up am i pronouncing this (laughs) word right is this what does this did i mean to say this word and so it's funny how it doesn't necessarily your normal Mm -hmm. conversation doesn't necessarily translate to what you write and and i also i think all of us hate the sound of our own voice yes and so I'm sitting there listening to it, going, "Who is going to listen to me talk for four and a half hours?" <laughs> right. Yeah. But it was also, I've, I've, it's been fun to hear the feedback from people that listen to the book and say right. they're so glad that that it's in my voice because that's when they would read it, they would hear right. kind of my my personality. And that's my the good voice thing about.
1: I'm glad when I listen to audiobooks that the person who wrote it reads it. Yeah, right? like, it makes
2: a difference. It's such
1: a huge difference, even if you know, even if they do go off script and and you know they they change things. I mean. McConaughey's book. When he reads that, it's fantastic. Uh-huh. Greenlight. So great. I mean, I read the book a couple of times and then I listened to it and you know, it, it's It's the same story, obviously, but you just so much context and there's so much yes. different, you know, the story travels more when you hear the voice and the acting, yeah. you know, it's, it's just so much better, but so.
2: And even the emotion of it. Right. You know, there were, I had several people call and say, okay, I was listening to your book and I heard you get choked up and yeah. I, you know, started getting choked up myself. So yeah. that's impactful.
1: No, def, for sure, like a hundred percent. It's, and I'm I'm glad you did that because it's, as hard as it was, I'm sure, you know, like you were glad you did it too because Absolutely. it's, you know, it's, it's something that's going to be out there now forever. Thankfully, you know, because the power of the internet and all the other cool yeah. things, that we, you know, technology is awesome. So, would you do another one?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All the stories that ended up on the cutting floor <laughs>
1: <laughs> for the books.
2: first book. <laughs> yeah. So, this is going to be the rest of the story. Yeah. So, yeah, there were a lot of stories that I was, I felt very passionately about that just didn't fit what we wanted for the chapters in the book. It was a yeah. very structured. It's called High Impact Life, mm-hmm. and each of the chapters is a specific lesson that gotcha. I uh, teach each of the athletes that I work with yeah. when we're when we're working on. Okay, this is not just about getting the big contract and being an elite athlete. This is who are you becoming, and what is going to be your influence and your impact on yeah. the world. And that's applicable to every single one of us. And so that was the idea of the book was mm-hmm. each chapter is is one of the one of the things that. Um, I help my players with um kind of seeing the bigger picture mm-hmm. of not just seeing themselves as what they do, right because when football ends, uh then what? you yeah. know, then where does their self-worth come from? When mm-hmm. does their you know where is their their impact? what is their calling? what is yeah. their purpose beyond just being able to play a sport? And so it's things that we all need to that we all need that we all yeah. need to learn and so it's sharing each of those lessons in an impactful way. Mm-hmm. So there were certain, you know, recruiting stories and crazy, you know, negotiation, travel, you know, stories, yeah. travel stories, things like that, that just didn't, didn't work for this book, but they will be in the next one.
1: Perfect. Can't wait for that <laughs> one. Uh, well, I mean, there's many stories that you, you shared when we did the podcast or so when we did the podcast, you know, in 2018, you talked about, it was you and one other woman in the room as right. an agent. Right. And you talked yeah. about the stories that came from that and, and the guy <laughs> that came up to you, which you're now friends with, yes. <laughs> you know, they're like, they're all those, you know, those are really cool details and, and people yeah. listening, you please go back and listen to that podcast because it there's some really cool stories in that uh, and and I'll link the description for the book Thank as you. well and the audio book and, and so they can go straight to that. Yeah, um, thanks. What about, tell tell me about kind of just the expansion of, you know, of KMM sports and, and, you know, we spoke, it was football and baseball and, and now, you know, you have an Olympic bobsledder, you have some, you know, college athletes, you have a golfer, you know, tell tell me about just the general, I guess, was it just a natural expansion?
2: Yeah, it's, KMM has grown really organically. Uh And it's funny that when I tried to force it to grow or bring on people, it just, you know, it was square peg, round hole, it never worked. And so it really has been a just very natural progression. Mm -hmm. Every, honestly, every athlete that I represent, that KMM uh, has on our our client roster and our client family, like we like to call them, Mm -hmm. uh, all kind of came through what I was already doing, um, mostly through football. For example, Asia Evans, my bobsledder, who I've now represented for, gosh, nine years. This is her third Olympics. Uh, She, um, gosh, it's been longer than, I guess I've. Yeah, I've represented her for 10 so, years tw- yeah, yeah. Ish? Three, yeah,
1: three Olympics. I mean, <laughs> it's Olympics. at least... Oh, yeah, oh, it's, so
2: it's, twelve, maybe 12 years, I guess. I don't know. So I'm awesome. being yeah. bad with math. Anyway, I've represented her since the Sochi Olympics, since yeah. the year before that. And she came to me through football connections. Her brother, mm-hmm. Freddie, played for the Vikings for eight years. Damn. Um, she trained with players that I was familiar with. And so, yeah, uh, yeah I never had in anticipation of expanding into bobsled. Right. Didn't know anything about bobsled except for cool runnings.
1: Oh yes. Uh, like everybody else listening to And, yeah. uh,
2: and it's been an amazing, you know, learning experience for me, learning about yeah. the sport, learning about how to, how to build a brand around an athlete in a sport that nobody really knows anything about. And right. quite frankly, nobody cares about it except for a couple of days, every four years. Yeah. So it's been, um, It's been fun to to see that expansion and that growth. The golfer, Mm -hmm. I have Amy Olson, who's on the LPGA, an amazing young woman Mm -hmm. who also came to me through football. Her husband is a coach at North Dakota State. Okay, yeah. And uh, I thought it was very interesting that... Uh, one of the best women golfers in the country comes from Fargo, North Dakota. Yeah. Like, do you actually play golf in Fargo? <laughs> uh, so it's been, uh, you know, we still, my, the vast majority of our athletes still are in football. We uh-huh. do have a baseball division. Uh, I've now added to my staff, you know, KMM for a long time was yeah. this company that I talked about and yet it was just me. And uh-huh. <laughs> now we actually have a staff. We have uh, one new agent we're about to add about the three more agents Mm -hmm. this year, uh, all doing football, baseball, Olympic sports, Uh, still haven't ventured into basketball yet. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to reserve that for just being something that we enjoy. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Right. (laughs) You need one sport. You actually go to So we get to just have
2: fun and get to leave the games early if we want to. (laughs) Right. Um, And so it's been, the growth has just, you know, it's been over time, but it's been Mm -hmm. done the right way. And it's been done with the right people who share the same principles and values. Uh, that I do. Yeah. So that's been really important to me.
1: Definitely. Tell me about I mean obviously Asia being, you know, first of all she, she was a she was a sprinter first, right? And then went yeah. into sprinter bobsled. and shot
2: putter, which yeah. you don't see shot putters who are also
1: quick. Quick. Yeah. And yeah.
2: <laughs> it's pretty remarkable. She's so strong and so fast.
1: How did she get the opportunity to go into bobsled? Were you around for that or was this did you come later when she I'm, was already
2: I met into her bobsled? when she had really just Started it. In. Been introduced to the sport. Okay. And it started with one of her college coaches. She ran track at University of Illinois. She was mm-hmm. All-American and decided not to go pro. She would have gone pro in shot put, but okay. she just didn't really see that as a future for her. And so she just became a personal trainer and she yeah. worked with elite athletes and she was phenomenal at it, but still had that fire inside of her that I'm not done competing. Right. And so one of her college coaches had told her about a winter sport combine and she thought, well, I can do that. And so she went and did all of the, what are called the push sports mm-hmm. or the, the push tests, which really just measures explosiveness and strength and speed. Mm-hmm. And she set records at the combine and <laughs> they talked her into doing bobsled. She hated, she's like, but I hate yeah. roller coasters. I hate, you know, fast cars. Like I just—that right. was not her thing, yeah. and and yet it was a perfect fit for her skill set. Mm-hmm. And so her first trip down the bobsled track uh, was horrible. She yeah. like literally got out at the bottom and called her mom, crying from the bathroom, going, "Do not make me do this ever again." And her mom told her, "Go back up to the top of the mountain and do yeah. it again." And she because she very quickly became the best mm-hmm. in the world at what she does which she's a, yeah. a pusher brakeman so brakeman is the official title but she's the one that gets this massive sled going yeah. on the ice and then you know has to has to basically hunker down in the bobsled yeah. and maneuver with the pilot God. until they get to the end and it is If you ever get a chance to be by a bobsled track, it's terrifying.
1: I'm sure it is. I don't know how skeleton
2: and loose people do it. it It's insanity. But it's, yeah. So she was, she kind of, again, you know, was Mm -hmm. just pursuing her desire to be competitive again. And now, now here she is in her thirties and third so Olympics awesome. and hopefully winning gold.
1: Is bobsled uh, kind of a sport that you, it's not like a, you can, you can stay in it for a long time. Does that make you sense? Can. Okay. Yes.
2: Although it's honestly, I mean, it's, there are very few people at the top. Yeah. Um, interestingly, one of the other, there are five women on the bobsled team, mm. five in the whole you know, yeah. whole country, they're going to compete at the Olympics. One of them was chosen in a reality show mm-hmm. competition, which is interesting. So, so I guess good. if there's someone listening yeah. out there that is
1: if you're fast, super strong, yeah, super strong. fast. Yeah. And you don't like <laughs> and, the cold. And you, you don't, mind, and you don't mind
2: Yeah. If you don't mind ice. Ice uh, and roller
1: coasters. God, exactly. I, I mean, I would love to sit in one just to see what it's like. Yeah. But again, I I would probably never like to do it no, again because it's it's nuts. You couldn't
2: it? pay me to yeah. go down a mom's <laughs> track. Yeah, it's
1: crazy, and and it's been really cool to kind of follow you and, and and then follow her through you and see that you know she's with with through the Olympics she's done stuff with Ralph Lauren and and then you mean the big Kim Kardashian thing, which yeah. is massive, right? The the new because it was her and a bunch of other athletes. It wasn't just her, right?
2: Right. Was, well, it was. I think there were five total yeah. athletes. She ended which up being still, the one that was featured by Kim God Kardashian say. on her. Instagram page, which was, and I fought, it's so funny because I fought so hard for that endorsement for her and, um, Ralph Lauren was not going to allow her even to do it. They said, well, we have sleepwear and, you know, intimates and shapewear. I'm like, yeah, but you're not Skims and she's not wearing polo, Ralph Lauren, (laughs) um, sleepwear in your ads. So let's make this work. And so we made it work and yeah, that's probably to date. That's my favorite thing that we've done. Yeah.
1: Can you go into more detail on how that will that? Because people listening, like, I mean, when they say, what you know, what does an agent do? Well, they do yeah. a lot of things, but endorsements is one of the big ones. It is. Um, especially for a lot of athletes who, you know, they may be in a sport that doesn't pay them as much. Golf, right. for example, like, you know, Amy's golf career, like the LPGA Tour, sadly, I mean, mm-hmm. it's getting better. It is. Um, with the announcement of them putting more money in the U.S. Open this, this year and getting more years. But, yes. you know, those girls, do, compared to the men, do not make as much money.
2: No, right? and um, they, so I think it's Endorsements
1: been, is massive, you know, it in, is. That, in that sense.
2: Particularly for Olympians, mm-hmm. because, on, quite honestly, most Olympic sports don't have the following. They don't have the money. Uh, It's been an interesting topic of just a perspective Mm -hmm. shift for even a lot of the football players that I represent. They understand that they have the contracts they do because football has tons of fans and tons of TV time. Mm -hmm. And because there are tons of fans... Uh, they get the much larger contracts. They can make millions of dollars. It doesn't mean that Olympians are less talented, didn't work as hard, Mm -hmm. aren't as focused, aren't as disciplined, all those things. In fact, the Olympians that I've been around uh, they're truly doing it for the love of sport. Yes. Uh, That's because the there's no money it. in it. Yeah,
1: for sure. To be an Olympian outside yeah. of sprinting is the definition. Right. Of,
2: and unless yeah. you're, you know, Michael Phelps right, or, sprinting or swimming, some, yeah. you know, huge, you know, yeah. highly decorated champion, you're not going to mm-hmm. see, you're certainly not going to see millions of dollars in endorsements. Right. And so, uh, that was my learning curve when I started representing a bobsledder mm-hmm. was, well, how do you make money? You know, what's, and she explained, like, yeah. well, we get a little stipend from the foundation, every, the, you know, the Bob Federation. I was like, that's it. Yeah. Like, how do you survive? And a lot of them work odd jobs. Mm-hmm. They teach lessons, they do training. Yeah. And so she has put herself through this, uh, to get to where she is now. And she works incredibly hard. She's incredibly talented. Uh, and so I told her years ago, again, when she had not even made an Olympic team and was brand new to the sport. Yeah. So we're going to focus on building a brand around you and we're going to see what we can do with it and get money in your pocket so you don't have to work three jobs and train full time Mm -hmm. to do, you know, to do what you're really passionate about. And so I started uh, it started with her back in the very beginning, just trying to get exposure Mm -hmm. for her. And fortunately, with my work with the NFL, I had yeah. developed enough connections with media outlets, I literally, um, we crashed the, the, um, winter Olympic summit in park city. She wasn't invited. Yeah. She wasn't one of the invited Olympians to go do interviews with the media, but I had a friend with USA today and said, Hey, if we show up, can you just do a photo shoot with us? And yeah. And just pretend like we're supposed to be there. And he said, "Sure." And so we did. And thinking that I was just, you know, trying going to try to get her in the environment and introduce her to some people. And right. her picture ended up on the cover of USA Today <laughs> the next day. And suddenly, we, it was okay that we were there. We ended up doing. <laughs> All of the press yeah. we started talking to. That's Brilliant. when we met Polo Ralph Lauren and yeah. um, started meeting some of the brands that we now work with and BMW. She ended up getting a BMW commercial out mm-hmm. of that. And it really was, I built her up because I believed in, yeah. I could see what she was already. I could see she was a star, mm-hmm. just nobody knew about her yet. Yeah. And so I, it was just making those connections and then just blowing up phones until I could mm-hmm. get an in. And that's what happened with SKIMS. I mean, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't have Kim Kardashian's number, so I
1: just. I was, I was going to say I'm hoping for that. She'd be a, <laughs> even though she's probably never been to Oklahoma before, she'd be a great. Podcast. She has
2: actually Julius well, we, Jones. We'll talk about okay, it. Okay, we'll yeah, get she to that came to for me to sure. Julius, but, yeah. So I worked every angle I could to get in front of Skims, and finally got a hold of someone and yeah. pitched them constant, pitched them constantly on involving her in the campaign, and yeah. here we are.
1: So, but it all starts with, like you said, you just saying, know, yeah, we're, we're going, we're going to Park City. We're going like, to do it. You know, what's the worst going to happen? Someone's yeah. going to tell us no when you're right. an Olympian, like they're going to let you in. Like exactly. this. Figure. And then next day it takes, you know, you utilize your years and years of experience in the industry yeah. and friends and relationships that you've built up, you mm, know, yep. and just your network and spiderweb and your, whatever you want to call it of people that, you know, you can say, hey this girl's special like, yeah. and then they trust your word and like you said this happens and exactly. like, you wake up the next morning and you're like you know I, 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 I would have <laughs> loved to have been in the room when you just gave her the cover and you're just like hey, uh-huh, like, hey or, look or, at this know, yeah. check this out like <laughs> That's you, and you're actually. Like, this is on the cover. You've, yes, you yeah. are. People,
2: millions of people are seeing your picture awesome. today, and it's. I think it also. She was an amazing case study for, mm-hmm. for me, and for our company, and for the athletes that we take on. That yeah. building a brand doesn't ha- doesn't necessarily happen overnight. You mm-hmm. have, those things that you push for that you know happen, yeah. like the cover of USA Today, which happened pretty automatically after mm-hmm. we pushed for it. Yeah. Um, but building a brand to the point where, you know, we were doing you know, she's on billboards and Mm -hmm. she's doing commercials and she's on the Today Show and she's the face of Winter Olympics. Uh, That took years Mm -hmm. to build. And I think people get in a hurry now, especially because they see TikTok stars and YouTube stars and going, oh, I can become a success overnight for doing nothing. And um, yes, you know, some people can, but the vast majority Mm -hmm. um, of people and and certainly athletes, it takes time. To do something like that.
1: Well, and the thing is, because it's taken time, you can all. but you've built up a brand, it's sustainable too,
0: yes. right? Like
1: you can, you know, keep this going rather than literally a 15 second TikTok video, or whatever it is, like, that's it, <laughs> you know, like, sure. you, you know, one person, it's hard for some people to build that into a brand, but you've built it into a brand yeah. and you know, it, it's, it's awesome to see.
2: It is, it is sustainable. And what I love is she sees, she now sees her purpose uh-huh. In life, and her ability to make an impact on people as something so much bigger and with more longevity than a bobsled career. Right. Even though it's been a long bobsled career. So,
1: yeah, which is, I mean, that's again that's crazy and, and everybody who sees Bob's head always goes to Cool Run-Ins and just <laughs> the picture of him carrying the sled at the, the sled, end it's yes. just the greatest scene ever and they will so start clapping and, oh,
0: just,
1: you know, and he's got his egg or whatever it's, it's like,
0: just, <laughs> the greatest
1: oh, if you haven't seen that I mean I watched that movie on VHS that's how old that movie yeah, is Brilliant. I love it talk to me about obviously you know the the announcement that came out was it last year about the college athletes are now going to we yes. starting in California didn't it California I think were the first ones to say hey you athletes going to get paid uh, and even before that there was the kicker at USC right who quit because he's like I'm making money on YouTube on YouTube. I'm, I'm like you know right. you know so that was yeah. kind of like one of the catalysts I guess but now it you know you got you know, people like, you know, quarterbacks or whatever that are getting cars, multiple cars and money. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, recently I saw what, well, you know, someone from OU had been offered like a million bucks to go someplace somewhere. Yes. Like crazy amount of crazy money being money. thrown around. Yeah. And, you know, it is still the wild west at the moment. Yeah. And, you know, these college athletes who, you know, for the most part, uh, have come from humble beginnings, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and if someone throws you, you know, even a, even a, $10,000 or whatever yeah. it is, like it's a huge amount of money or a car or anything. Um, you know, if somebody offered me when I was 19, like a car to go somewhere, I would have said yes, uh, right? Course. Like anything, you know, like a thousand dollars is fine. Um, but from, from kind of an agent standpoint, you know, first of all, when did you hear about this and then what yeah. opportunities did you see coming into it as well?
2: Oh my gosh. I feel like we could have... We could talk for could hours talk about, for about all yeah. the different dynamics and mm-hmm. layers to this. So several years ago, I started hearing some rumblings just mm-hmm. in the sports business, sports marketing in particular, um, about—and uh, really, you mentioned it—about the player that had to choose between mm-hmm. playing Division One sports or making money as a, an influencer. Yeah. And that's about the time several years ago. Obviously, you know, with social media evolving so rapidly and becoming Uh what it is and all of us all of us that are that work in sports media and marketing
0: um
2: started realizing you know influencers companies are now paying more money to influencers yeah it's crazy who have more followers on instagram or tiktok or whatever they're caring about more that more than they're caring about you know being the MVP or, yeah. or being hitting the most home runs or scoring the most touchdowns, that's important. Performing. I mean, you, you, you uh-huh. can't be a loser, but, but right. if, if we realized that, oh my goodness, things are really changing. And the problem became that, um, student athletes were not able to earn income uh-huh. based on, you know, their popularity, like non-student athletes that right. were just students. And so there became sort of this, we need to fix this. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, as with a lot of things, I think unintended consequences have come from that. Right. Uh, the NCAA drug their, you know, drug their feet and continue to drag their feet. Yeah. Uh, of course, <laughs> they do, because they want to try to protect amateurism mm-hmm. and, and keep commercialism at bay. But it's, that argument has basically gone out the window yeah. with the amount of money wrapped up in television deals and that the schools are now, making
1: on behalf. Absolutely. Of, you know, coaches are being paid, yeah.
2: you know, millions and millions of dollars. The schools are raking in billions <laughs> across the, the country
0: yeah.
2: and student athletes still are allowed to have scholarships and cost of living, but mm-hmm. not, not being able to earn any income. Yeah. And so it became a situation where, okay, where do we find the happy medium? How do we protect amateurism? How do we not acknowledge that players are really, in essence, functioning as employees, but we're not going to call them employees Mm -hmm. because we don't want them to unionize. We don't want all of the, the, we don't want to open that can of worms. Um, So how do we allow them to be compensated? Uh And so that... I've watched this conversation evolve over kind of behind the scenes bubbling up under the surface over the last few years. And it finally, when it did finally happen, Mm -hmm. which was this last summer, it was like a tsunami hit. (laughs) It was, it totally opened the floodgates and it became truly the wild, wild west. Mm -hmm. Suddenly agencies are popping up overnight that are bringing deals to players. Um, We were finding that a lot of, players were not doing exclusive deals with anybody. They were just literally telling every agency out there, Mm -hmm. hey, if you can bring me a deal, you'll get a cut of it. And so the friends of mine that I had that were trying to negotiate deals on behalf of DoorDash and Netflix and brands, We're getting lists from all these agencies around the country with exactly the same people on all the lists. And they're like, who represents the who actually does represent these players? And it just became a nightmare. The other crazy thing that impacted me was in the lead up to the law change, the NFL Players Association, who that's the union that governs. Mm my certification as an agent yeah. told all of us, this will jeopardize your certification if you start negotiating mm-hmm. for, basically, you know, players that are not eligible for the draft.
0: Yeah.
2: And so, you know, like the good girl that I am that always follows it. the rules, stay I didn't away. touch it. Yeah, I'm like, nope, away. not gonna jump in. Not
0: worth
2: it. Um, others were, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, they're gonna get caught. They're gonna get in trouble. Literally the day yeah. that the law changed, The NFLPA put out a memo by email that said, Oh, we changed our mind. It's okay. (laughs) Like, you have got to be kidding. And so all of the agencies that had sort of decided they were going to break the rules anyway. We're way ahead About of the head start.
1: Yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm.
2: So, so typical for for yeah. the sports agent right. world. But, uh I still wanted to proceed with caution mm-hmm. because I I thought, you know, we're we're all trying to figure this out yeah. and there are these expectations created that every athlete now is going to be able to just go and get a
0: yeah, you know, big a deal from a shampoo commercial yeah. and
2: a beverage sponsorship and a car deal yeah. and and it's it's happening for a lot of athletes, but relatively speaking, a small number. Right. So where we are now, and I actually I didn't know how I felt about this, but what, what we're seeing happen now is um across the country, mm-hmm. uh schools are try are realizing we've got to get a hold of this. Like we need to figure out yeah. our players are gonna get paid. We need to be part of the approval process. We need to make sure they're not breaking any mm-hmm. you know, rules or regulations. Yeah. How do we manage this? And so relationships are starting to be created um, with companies that handle things basically from a group licensing standpoint. Okay. So one group that I work with, a branding group, who I've worked with their team, mem- several of their team members for years, mm-hmm. are now essentially handling group licensing they've done it for unions for years yeah. now they're doing it for schools and so they're going in and doing agreements with schools they're saying we'll handle all the mm-hmm. education of the athletes so they know what to do and what not to do how it's going to affect their taxes yeah. uh, how it's going to affect their scholarships possibly uh, or their financial aid you know, negotiating the contracts, knowing what the fair market value is, all those things. Mm -hmm. So schools are getting, starting to realize we don't, we don't know how to do this on our own. We need to employ people who do. So that's happening. And then on top of that, there are also, and I know the NCAA saw this coming because they talked about it all the time. They, the NCAA said, okay, we know this is inevitable, but we just don't want it to be used for recruiting. Yeah I mean that's yeah. exactly what was going to happen. Yeah exactly. And so what what's happening now is there are groups of donors or boosters yeah. that are called collectives popping up all over the country. They're pooling yeah. their money and they're saying we're going to pay players Serious to come. Money to yes. Come yeah. 3 million dollars. There's a 3 million million dollar offer to a certain quarterback coming Who's- from a famous family. To go play at a school, and and others offensive linemen at of Texas are getting offered yeah. fifty grand per person.
1: Coming out of high school. Coming out of high
2: school, Gosh, yes, I mean, just to sign with a school.
1: Family changing money, truly, right? You know, and sometimes truly. the sad thing is sometimes the the kid who might have grown up an OU fan his entire life and has mm-hmm. idolized all of the quarterbacks that have gone to OU and Heisman mm-hmm. winners, and but someone puts a three million dollar check in front of him, he's like. I guess I'm going, 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 going wherever. Yeah, exactly.
2: And so to get kind of the, just to realize that right now we're in the wild, wild west, but things are going to start getting regulated and everything, the pendulum's going to swing. Things are going to even back out. So how do we create exist? How do we create organizations, arrangements, Mm -hmm. contractual agreements that are going to pass Test. They're going to stand the test of time. And so now I've become involved with helping these collective groups figure out okay, we can't just pay them to play. That's against the rules. We can't just write them a check just because they're coming to play for a school. Um, As much as boosters want to do that, say it's legal now. They've been doing it for years. Of course
1: they have, yeah.
2: But now it's legal. Yeah. And so trying to rein them in and say, okay, there has to be structure to this. Mm -hmm. And if a player is going to get paid, he or she has to provide a service or a license you know, in exchange for that pay. It can't just be for the fact that he plays for the University of Texas or Oklahoma State. He has to do something. Whatever that is, he's got to do something. And then he has to be 1099. And then, you know, it it all has to be above board, transparent, there has to be communication with compliance Mm -hmm. uh, so that you're not running afoul of any NCAA, you know, laws, state laws, federal laws. Fortunately, I'm in a place where I'm familiar with all those layers. Right. And I can come in and say, okay, I know what you're trying to do. <laughs> and the way you want to do it is illegal, but yeah. there is a right way. Right. This so, is how you're
1: supposed to do it. Yeah. You still get the same outcome. Exactly. So, but I mean, I mean, for you, it's a business, right? I mean, your business sure. is getting into universities, you know, building a network to take these kids who, you know, not everyone's going to make it, right? No. Small percentage. Small percentage. Which I am thankful that some of the, you know, more. Some people on the teams that aren't going to make it are still going to get, for the most part, some of them are still sure. going to get paid, which is great for them and their families. But now, as a business for you, you're, instead of recruiting from college, you you might even be recruiting from high school now, right? Yeah,
2: I have to be really careful with You have with to it, be though. careful with just right. how
1: all that starts. Because there are seen, still,
2: yeah, there are still laws right. that prohibit me as a as an agent, yeah. certified agent, from recruiting a player for the draft until he is technically eligible by law. Right. Which in every state is a difference measure so I have to know the laws of each state where I'm registered and bonded yeah. um, I can talk to high school students that are coming into college and
1: build a relationship But
2: and build a relationship yeah. but we can't discuss the draft it right. has to be about NIL yeah. so it's tricky Tricky. it's really tricky but it's also going to be it's changing well, yeah. the industry the
1: opportunity of I mean your client base has just doubled right yeah. the opportunity of your potential yeah. client base has doubled or more over because of this NIL because of you yeah. know you got, if, if, if your kid comes into university for this usual, you, for example, a freshman comes in and, and you're, you know, you're one of your clients as a senior, but he's related or a cousin or, you know, friends or somehow,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, and, you, you know, you might be involved in finding this guy at an NIL deal, but you're building sure. a relationship, right?
2: Yes. That hopefully so translates hopefully even though translates, we can't talk about it. Yeah. Hopefully trans, <laughs> Yeah, but it also could backfire. And we saw that happen this year with agencies that said, we'll bring you an aisle deals. And then they couldn't Couldn't, generate anything for the backup, you know, linebacker or, you know, and, and then suddenly it's like, well, we don't want to work with you going forward. So you just shot your opportunity to represent them in the draft. So yeah, I think we're all still God, it's learning. Us, but I'm it's glad
1: I'm on this crazy. side and not on your side
2: because
1: <laughs> <laughs> no there's doubt. so much stuff out there. Um, yeah. But do you have anyone uh, like that's under your kind of client supervision then, as an, in that's in college?
2: I do. Um, right now, I'm working with Mackenzie Donahue. She okay. was a kind of softball star.
1: Had that wild catch, right? Maybe we'll yes. That insane catch, <laughs> The, air, right? the yeah, jump yeah, blue yeah, yeah. catch. Yeah. yeah.
2: She's um, absolutely adorable. And we're, we're kind of navigating everything with her right now and figuring out what can she do? What, she, mm-hmm. what is she allowed to do? Um, how do we build her brand? And um, it's been interesting. It's been yeah. a learning curve, certainly.
1: It must be tough because, I mean, you know, um, Mackenzie right like there's for her I assume it's not I mean there's not like a massive career in professional softball sadly right so you know what does she do you know she has to back to Asia she has to build a brand right mm-hmm. and go mm-hmm. forward and, and kind of you know use I guess Lauren as an example right Lauren Chamberlain's yeah. you know, amazing stuff outside of softball and she's built yep. her brand through through that stuff and absolutely sadly I mean a lot of the girls who are in Kind of friends with Lauren are either doing, you know, their cycle bar instructors or they work for the school, or they're ESPN analysts, or you know, they're at the software, USA software, or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Like, mm-hmm. there's plenty of opportunities, but. You know, I guess with her, you're you're more focused on building that brand yeah. and saying, "Look, softball is clearly is not going to last forever, and maybe right. you don't want to play softball for a long time. Right? Um, and even if it does, it's limited. Mm-hmm. Let's figure out something to do. Yeah, and go forward. So that yeah, must be what really are the exciting. opportunities and yeah
2: identifying those and then building up to those opportunities. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's been, it's I, I do like the nil, yeah, um, the 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 new rights that are being that student athletes are allowed to have mm-hmm. specifically for athletes like McKenzie who are not, you know, not, right. you know, all the non-revenue athletes, not all of the Ron Full scholarships. Mm-hmm. Um they're still having to come come out of yeah. pocket for school. Um a lot of them will never get to play professionally. Mm-hmm. Um but they're they have fan bases and they have notoriety and they've had, they have accomplishments. And if we can use that to build a brand and seek out opportunities for them that are going to last beyond sport, then Mm -hmm. I think that's great.
1: Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. It's, you know, I, I don't think I would have made any money if I had <laughs> if it had around it, maybe, I don't know. I mean, I, I might've had a free golf membership somewhere. Um, uh, oh, I mean.
2: <laughs> there were no, uh, I was a baton twirler and there was no professional no. twirling league that I could go join. God, so sadly. yeah. Sadly. <laughs> uh,
1: people, I totally forgot that. People might, if they haven't listened to the first episode, you were, I mean, you're former Miss Oklahoma Miss and Oklahoma, a baton twirler.
2: Yeah. Which was the first time I actually made any money. I earned scholarship money <laughs> for my baton twirling talent at Miss America, yeah. which paid for law school. If anyone wants to give me grief Brilliant. about it,
0: yeah.
2: it all worked out well. But yeah, I was I competed in baton twirling internationally yeah. for... 15, 16 years. Can you
1: still twirl now? Yeah. Yeah?
2: <laughs> not like I could. Well, yeah, But yeah. yes, it's not like riding a bike, but I can still, yeah, I can still twirl. But within hours
1: practice, you can...
2: I could knock some of the rust off, yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, m- might have to be, They might have to be a bet, and if you lose the bet, that's yeah, that we got to bring you... I'll you gotta twirl have...
2: fire, how about that? There we go. It's, it looks impressive, I don't have to do much, well, we just like, you know, twist it around. And yeah. It looks impressive.
1: Um, So pre, just now, you, you know, just now... A little bit ago, you mentioned that Kim Kardashian did come to Oklahoma to meet Julius Jones, and you had a massive part in that. And I want to finish the podcast, you know, talking about that and and not just only last year. Right. This has gone on for way too long. Um, But you had a very, very unique part in that. Um, and I remember the day after, you know, waking up in the morning and, and kind of just scrolling through Instagram and seeing that you're on BBC News. I'm like, people in the UK <laughs> are talking to someone I've had on the podcast in Oklahoma. That's wild. And now I remember the time difference. I'm like... Kelly hasn't slept in no. two
2: days.
1: <laughs> no, like that was, was
2: insane. Insane. Yeah.
1: But for people listening that, that yeah. kind of don't know, I mean, they know a bit about it or they may have seen it on mm. the news, but they probably saw it like many that last week, right? Sure. They didn't see the whole thing leading up to it. Yeah. So, I mean, as much as you want to talk about it, tell me about it.
2: Yeah. So, uh, two years ago, mm-hmm. um, I was contacted by... Um, someone on behalf of the, the Julius Jones, basically the coalition, uh-huh. um, Justice for Julius coalition. And uh, they were really trying to just honestly reach out to Oklahomans uh-huh. who could raise awareness about Julius's case. And in particular, uh, write letters to... Governor Stitt, um, to take a look at the case. And at the time when I was contacted, I knew nothing about the case. And I'm embarrassed to say that Mm -hmm. I had not seen the documentary, the last defense. Um, I had not, I was just not aware. I didn't even remember, uh, when it happened. Mm -hmm. A lot of my friends that grew up in Edmond remember very vividly when it happened and when he was arrested and the trial, but I knew nothing about it. And so I said, I I'm sorry. I, I don't know that I can help. Um, but maybe I should learn more about the case uh-huh. and it, it, interested me. And so being a lawyer, uh, having never practiced criminal law, um, I knew that I was kind of stepping out of my area of expertise, but I also during law school had worked for judge Lumpkin, uh-huh. uh, Gary Lumpkin is on the Qu- Oklahoma court of criminal appeals. So my earliest, Really, my first legal job was reviewing, researching, and writing opinions for criminal appeals. Uh-huh. And so, and I remembered just from that experience alone, I remembered just how difficult it is to overturn a conviction yeah. um, or to, to win on appeal. It happens, um, but it's not as common uh-huh. um, as you would think. And so, I asked for the case file. Um, initially, I was sent some bullet points and some press releases and mm-hmm. the documentary. And I said, with all due respect, I don't want to watch a documentary. I want to actually read the facts of the case, right. and I want to know what the evidence is. And as I studied and and got further and further into it, I just wanted to know more. I wanted to know what actually happened. Mm-hmm. You know, as as much as it was possible, I wanted to know the the facts. Yeah, I wanted to know everything that has been discovered since then. And I wanted to know about the trial. Uh-huh. And I read, and I'm one of the few people, I guess, that's done this outside of his legal, his now legal team. I read every single filing, uh-huh. every transcript, every submission, every piece of evidence, every affidavit, watched every video, everything. Because i the more I learned, I thought, oh my gosh, Oklahoma is about to execute uh-huh. an innocent man. But if I'm going to stick my neck out, I really want to make sure right. that we're getting this right. And I want to make sure as Oklahomans we get mm-hmm. this right. And so I spent all that time and became fully convinced for a lot of reasons, mm-hmm. but specifically because someone else had confessed to the murder to multiple individuals who had come forward with nothing to gain Damn. for sharing that information. Um, the thing that stuck out to me the most, there was really no investigation done by his original legal defense team. None. It was yeah. the case was tried on the police reports, um, and when it came to the point in the transcript, after the prosecution presented all their facts, all their evidence, all their witnesses, uh-huh. it came Julius's turn to present his case, and his attorneys literally stood up and said, "We rest." Oh my gosh! Nothing. No witnesses. No evidence. Yeah. No arguments. Nothing. And so the jury had no choice. Right. And my thought was. We can't go back. he already all of his appeals had already run. Mm-hmm. We can't go back and retry this case. But if we had, uh, if the jury had heard this information, at the very least, I don't believe he would on be de- would be on death row. Right. Um, but I truly believe he would have been acquitted. And so, our only hope was to appeal to the governor, to the pardon and parole board, mm-hmm. and to get an get them to make a recommendation to the governor to either pardon him or grant parole. And so after reviewing everything, I asked to meet with his current legal defense team who they're, they're amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I asked to meet with him personally, which apparently nobody had asked to do that had been asked to be an advocate of his. Yeah. The attorneys were the only ones who had met with him. Um, And so I went to McAllister, and for my very first visit to a prison ever, um, it was on death row and I was escorted through various, you know, chambers and, you know, doors and, um, it was as dark and awful and dirty as you can imagine. It was disgusting and sat in this teeny tiny room and met him and he was in, you know, chains and leg irons and handcuffs and, um... Sat and talked to him for two hours and it was the most impactful conversation I think I've had in a long time
0: yeah.
2: um, because his perspective was so different than what I expected it to be. He was not bitter. Um, he'd been bitter and angry for a long time of why did this happen? But he had, he had come to a point where he said, you know, I'm here not because I killed someone. I'm here because of the choices I made as a teenager. Uh-huh. I chose to run around with the wrong crowd. I chose to do some really stupid things, to do some shoplifting. Uh-huh. Um, I helped people, you know, with with things that with and not with criminal things, but he would like take tests for people, and yeah, yeah. he just became a friend to people who were doing very bad things, uh-huh. and it put him in a position to be accused of this and, and essentially set up for this. And he said, the, the reason that that gives me hope is that I know that if I can help other young men realize that it's not just Uh because of the you know, the system, which Mm -hmm. is broken. We have, we need to, we need to make some changes. There's no
1: doubts about that. Um,
2: And it's broken. It's, I mean, I, it's funny because I come at it from a perspective that I'm, I am a law and order person. I believe in our justice system, but I also believe that our justice system, although it's the best in the world Mm -hmm. is flawed because human beings are flawed. And if there are flaws, we need to Mm -hmm. acknowledge them and fix them. Yeah. Uh, as much as it's in our power. And so he had hope because he's like, look, you know, yes, we've identified some breakdowns in the criminal justice system. Let's fix them. But even more, even beyond that, let's teach young people that their decisions can determine their outcome Uh in life. He said, if I had just taken ownership of my life and my future and the opportunities that I had in front of me, Back when I was 18, 19 years old, my life would look a lot different. And so his whole goal now is not just to be free, but to really pour into young people and -hmm. give them hope and inspiration that their lives don't have to turn out like his did. Um, and I walked out of there feeling so uplifted by, by someone on death row right. who was facing the death penalty. And so, yeah, so that's the background. I walked out of that prison that day and said, I'm, I'm going to do everything I can I'm in, yeah. to fight for him. Um, I went back and took one of my NFL players to meet him, mm-hmm. changed his life, changed his perspective, gave him hope. Um, I worked with the legal team to prepare for the pardon parole board, mm-hmm. um, hearing, we were granted a commutation hearing. Uh, Julius personally asked me to, to speak on his behalf, which I did. And we were able to win um, yeah. commutation. Uh, that recommendation went from the board to the governor. The governor declined to rule on it uh-huh. and said, we need to go to clemency, which clemency can only happen if there is actually a, a death date, a date set for execution. And in Oklahoma, I don't know if any of your listeners are, are aware, but there's been a moratorium mm-hmm. on executions up until this year yeah. um, because of litigate, ongoing litigation with the methods that Oklahoma uses to execute. Right. And so and that's still ongoing. Um, but basically, the the federal judges in that legislation said, well, let's go ahead and let them go forward. And if they're botched, then we'll have more evidence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, right. It, it, it blows my mind. Yeah. Just some of the, the things that, that we're seeing happen blow my mind. But um, I continued to fight for Julius and walked through the whole commutation process with him, clemency process with him. Um, we won mm-hmm. again Damn. at the second hearing for clemency. The pardon pro board recommended to the governor... Um, to grant, uh, to commute his sentence Uh to life with a possibility of parole. Um, and then we waited and had to wait until, and I'm going to get choked up (laughs) if I'm not careful. Um, we, the governor did not commute the sentence until three hours before he was sent to die.
1: Yeah. It was, it was awful. Yeah. Like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. If, Yeah. I mean, a lot of people listening, we, uh, no,
2: we had said our goodbyes. I, I spent time with him, uh, helping him figure out everything he wanted to say after they strapped him to the gurney. (laughs) Never want to go through that again. Um, (laughs) all the things that he wanted to do with setting up a foundation to Mm -hmm. keep influencing young people. that was what his focus was. The day he was set to die, the thing that kept him going was that there would be some, that there would be those of us who would carry on his legacy. And what really, really got to him, and apparently what really also got to the governor, was all of the high school students that walked out. That was so powerful. And I remember him saying, after the fact, I remember him saying, look at, it wasn't like, look at what these students are doing for me. It was look at these students who realize that they're that they have power mm-hmm. that they they can use their voices for good and for change and it was so remarkable to see it, particularly Julius Julius seemed to be the strong one for <laughs> through all of this for us and he wasn't even focused on for him this was not even about racial injustice this was just about justice this was just about let's let's get it right and let's give people you know faith in our judicial system let's give people young people hope for their Mm -hmm. future let's focus on that. Let's focus on how we can bring people together and work together. And it's what was really remarkable. And I did a lot of any interviews that I was asked to do. um, I tried to take on because they were asking the family to do everything and the family just couldn't do everything. And I said, look, if I need to answer questions, I'm available. Don't need to, but if you need me, let me know. And the questions I got over and over was this was a remarkable, coming together of very strong conservative groups, very Mm. strong pro-life groups, Republicans, Democrats, um, progressives, you know, it brought everybody together in a way that honestly we haven't seen.
0: No, Um, certainly
2: not in criminal justice reform. And so to get to be part of that and to see the outcome of that, to save literally save a man's life. And it wasn't, it was, I played a small role. A lot of people were involved in it, but to be part of that effort, um, yeah, I will always, always be grateful that we, that we got to, to fight that fight. Damn. And the fight continues. I talk to Julius um, regularly now. He's mm-hmm. able to call. He's now in a, a lower security mm-hmm. prison. He's actually considered, this is crazy, and he has been from the beginning, he's, he's considered like the lowest security risk. Um, whatever the rankings right. are of prisoners, yeah. he's, he's at the the least risky. Yeah. Um, and so he's slowly being given more rights. He was actually able to hug his mom. He was able to see the sun and walk outside for the first time in 22 years. Girl, that's um, insane. he's still in, in life. He's still in prison for life.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, we're hoping that over time we'll be able to, to seek a pardon yeah. for him, which will be the next step. Um, we don't know what's going to happen, um, but I'm continuing to work with him and and me. I can't wait to see him again. Uh, I'll get to visit him soon. Um, and I we talk all the time. I kept telling him, I can't wait yeah. to have you over to dinner. And we talk about it all the time of what his right. life is going to look like someday when he can just have a normal life and and have the influence that he wants to have right. on people.
1: Just so, to be given that opportunity to... Yeah. to, to Give back and do what he wants to do. Yeah.
2: Which he's doing from where he is right now. He's trying.
1: Which is extremely powerful. Yeah. To be able to do that. Yeah. And like you said, when you first Mm -hmm. met him, you did not expect him to be the way he was. and And that's just, you know, a lot of people in that situation. You know would it would be super angry and and they'd have a lot of absolutely. hatred and, and and sadly, some of them might even take their own lives sure. you know like that's that's statistically that's there as well and sure. you have all this stuff going on absolutely and you know through this, I mean, it wasn't just it was global news
2: it was like you know it, yeah it was what's fascinating though is it didn't that didn't really register with him, he didn't see himself as right. this. Global celebrity. Yeah. <laughs> he was. He's like, I'm still locked up. Still I still here, have no like, rights. I yeah. still am here. Um, and so it, you know, I, I think that was. It was disheartening to see some of the rhetoric coming, yeah. uh, coming out against him, saying, well, he thinks he's going to be famous off of this, or right. get rich off of this, or whatever. And no, yeah. that was not.
1: He's going to have a book deal and all the other right. Stuff. Yeah, like, all those things. So like,
2: oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, let's not lose perspective here. Right. So yeah.
1: That for you, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. just coming to work every day and knowing that you've been through this and you've been, you know, you you've been a part of this. Yeah. Uh, I mean, any challenge you have in work is nothing, right, compared to yeah. the life that that Jewish is living and the challenges that he has, and, and you know, and it gives you so much strength going forward.
2: Truly. Right? Yeah, it's and your yeah, clients and it's perspective. as well, you know, like Oh you my gosh! And it was I called and spoke to each of my clients before mm-hmm. I even took on the case. And just said, how do you feel about this? All of them were on board. And uh, someday I might publish it. I sent a message the night before the execution when I had been, I had been told, you know, unless a miracle happens, he's going to be executed. Um, I, I sent a message to all of my clients and just said, here, it's not looking good you know, here's, please keep praying. Please keep, keep us all in your thoughts and prayers. Keep Julius in your thoughts and prayers. Um, this is probably it, you know, it's probably over. We've fought the good fight. And, um, but yeah, I've never seen more joy (laughs) from, from my, my guys, um, as when we finally got the news, the good news the next day. And, um, Yeah. And it, it does, you know, I was getting ready for a a contract negotiation for a free agent of mine and I'm thinking, you know, I, I now think about sitting in that hearing room and realizing that I had basically five minutes to save someone's life to fight for their life. Um, negotiating a contract right. <laughs> is I got this like yeah. that, that's nothing compared to it's a big deal right huge deal life-changing yeah. deal but it's not the same pressure as we faced with that God. so yeah major perspective shifts
1: you're an amazing human being that's Aww, all I'm gonna say you're it's, so sweet it's nuts like just I mean me listening to the story like thinking about mm-hmm. you know you being there and and you know, Julius just being the way he is, and then just remember seeing the video of like his, pa- you know, his mum and like.
0: That. I know. <laughs> oh, it's. Yeah.
1: It's extremely powerful. And like I said, job's not finished, work's no. not done yet. It's a long way to go. Uh, yeah. But you're a part of it, and that's really, really special. Thank you. So, um,. Uh, you've given me an hour of your time, which in Kelly time <laughs> that's like six hours of every other normal human's it's time. All so good. I know your phone's been blowing up. I really appreciate yeah. it. Uh, for people listening, where can they find you on social media? If they, put, yeah. you know, they they then it might be mums, dads listening, mm-hmm. kids listening that they, you know they think, hey, I want to be a sports agent one day, or I'm, <laughs> my my son's amazing at football. He, he's going to be in the NFL. Like, how do they reach out? <laughs>
2: um, best way is either Instagram or Twitter. On Instagram, it's just uh, Kelly Masters. Mm-hmm. Um, Kelly with an I. Masters like the golf. Yeah, like the golf thing. Um And then on Twitter, I'm at KMM Sports.
1: Okay, awesome. Well, Kelly, thanks again so much. We really appreciate you. Thank you so um, much, Mike. Hopefully, it's not another three years until we do another <laughs> podcast. Yeah, let's not wait let's that not long. Let's not wait that long. Yeah. Um, but for everyone listening, I'll post the links to um, Kelly's book in the description. Uh, KMM Sports, and everything else I think that I mentioned that I would put in the description, the podcast we did um, in June of 2018, which is episode 31, uh, and we will see you guys next episode. Cheers. This podcast is presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, telling Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Hall of Fame, go to www.Oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at Oklahoma HOF. Thank you for listening.